Bandwidth for ChangeLog is provided by Fastly. Learn more at Fastly.com. Error monitoring is provided by Rollbar. Check them out at Rollbar.com. And we're hosted on Linode servers. Head to Linode.com slash ChangeLog. Hey there, this is Andre Matei and this is GoTime. It's Go Time, a weekly podcast where we discuss interesting topics around the Go programming language, the community, and everything in between. If you currently write Go or aspire to, this is the show for you. All right, welcome to another episode of Go Time. This is episode number 73. And we're joined today by Andre Matei from Cockroach DB. I am Brian Kettleson, and with me I've got Carlicia Pinto. Hi, everybody. And our guest Andre Matei. Hey there. So, Andre, why don't we kick this thing right off without lots of flutter about uh, you telling us who you are and, and what you do? Sure. Well, like I said, my name is Andre Matei. Um, I'm a software engineer. Um, I live in New York City. I work for uh, Cockroach Labs, which is the company behind CockroachDB, which is a distributed database, which, um, you know, I assume we'll talk about. Um, and yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's my briefest uh, of introductions. That is pretty brief. How did you get started into Go? What, uh, what brought you into the Go world? Oh, yeah. Well, it was Cockroach that uh, brought me into the Go world. Before that, uh, let's see. Well, before that, I, you know, I was working at Google for a long time where I was doing some Java, but mostly C++ um, on various infrastructure projects. Then I had a stint at Dropbox, which is mostly a Python shop, although they were starting to have some Go, uh, again, in the infrastructure department when I was there. Uh, but I was, I was mostly doing Python stuff. And then Cockroach, uh, Cockroach Labs and CockroachDB were uh, uh, a new company and products at the time when I joined, and this was about maybe two and a half years ago already. Um, and they had chosen Go as their programming language, and so I've been doing Go ever since. Uh, I think uh, we're um, maybe one of the bigger Go projects out there, uh, if um, at least that's my impression, but I'm biased. <laughs> yeah, there's certainly some big Go projects out there, but CockroachDB is is one of the bigger ones, absolutely. So uh, why did you choose CockroachDB to go work? Well, at uh, the time I was, you know, I was looking for a, for a new company and a new product and Cockroach, Cockroach Labs, the, the company and this database that we're building, they were, uh, for me personally, they were ticking all the boxes, you know, on, on the product side, if you're a, uh, if you're a guy who likes to do systems, and particularly distributed systems, which is my, which has been my background, uh, what we're building here is sort of the quintessential distributed system, which if it existed, it would, it would serve as a building block for many other things. So it's one of the fundamental pieces, you know, pieces of infrastructure, uh, a transactional consistent database. Um, so the product sounded really appealing. And then the company had, had all the other um, good signs about it. Yeah, I liked the the founding team and the, the, some of the early engineers very much. I thought they they have a very very strong team. Um, it's an open source project, and so you know I sleep better at night. I think that maybe I'm giving something back uh, to someone. 
um, it, it seemed to, to gather a lot of interest. Uh, it, it felt that uh, it was already at the time punching above its weight in terms of uh, advertising, uh, advertisement a bit, because a lot of people had heard of it, I think just because people were excited about um, the possibility of such a, such a system existing, or at least existing outside of Google and maybe a, a select few other big companies. Um, so it really it, it kind of had all the all the stuff I was I was interested in, um, and again it, it it sounded like a very challenging technical project which uh, um, which attracted me. Yeah, it's it's the holy grail of of distributed systems development. You know, creating a database that even pretends to be consistent, that's distributed. You know, that's tough work. Yeah, that that's exactly right. The the holy grail is. Is well put, uh, and in fact, uh, I believe that's how it was sold to me at the time. Um, and I've been I've been preaching it ever since. Uh, it, now I tell people that uh, maybe it is possible, and we're we're doing it. So, Andre, uh, as far as cockroach database, what do you think the companies who should be using this particular database are? Because what I'm thinking is, I haven't used them myself. So what I'm thinking is, is it more complex because of what it does, which is distribute your data in different uh, machines, I suppose? Or do you also distribute your data into uh, multiple machines? But my question is, does that add enough complexity that if you just want a straight up relational database, um, you wouldn't get so much benefit from it? or would anybody reap some benefit from using it? Yeah, that's a that's a great question, and um, yeah. you know it comes it comes up all the time. I think different people have different answers to this. So I'll, I'll give you mine with a caveat that uh, uh, that uh, other people might say different things. In particular, you know, marketing people might want us to focus on one niche or another. But my personal view is that um, everybody should be using, a, a, anybody who's using a relational database, uh, first of all, everybody who's using a database should probably use a relational database. And then everybody who needs a relational database, I think should use CockroachDB at this point, uh, um, uh, instead, of some of the, instead of some of the older alternatives. So I think, uh, I think you should pro you, you probably get benefits from CockroachDB pretty much regardless of your size. Um, it's, it's true that um, it sounds like it's a complex produ product. In fact, it is a, technically it's a very complex product and it's a, it's a difficult thing to, to implement. And it is in many ways more complex uh, in building than a, than a single machine database. Um, on the other hand, we do our very best to hide this complexity from the, from the users, the clients and the administrators that actually need to run the database. Um, I think, in fact, CockroachDB for most people is one of the easiest databases to um, to to run and administer at the time at, at the moment. Um, and um, this thing about complexity is that you know people people think that they can they can just run you know one database on one machine on some server somewhere, and then um, you know they they set it up once. And, and that's the end of it. And then they, they get away with a simple story. But in reality, if you care about your um, availability at all, then you probably need to start setting up a replication and a, or a continuous backup solution for that database. 
um, and a bunch of tooling around that. And pretty soon you you end up with with a lot of complexity. And in fact, I would argue that uh, a product like Cockroach, which uh, which has this idea of availability and replication built in at its core, will end up looking a lot simpler in in practice, and it will also be simpler to manage. So so that that would be my answer. I think at the you 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 get benefits from Cockroach kind of at at any scale, and we you know we we, we try to address a pretty diverse range of of companies and and clients. We go from the from the very largest companies that have um, geographically distributed clusters where you know you you really need a massive cluster with like some data in Asia, some data in the Americas, some data in Europe. Um, we go from this to um, to even to some customers that embed Cockroach in the in the platforms they distribute to people, whereas where they they run the database um, in a in a much smaller cluster, but they still care about uh, the availability and they care about the operational simplicity of running Cockroach. Um, and so we we really we really try to serve everybody. Saying that uh, everybody who's running a relational database should be running cockroach. That's big. Those are big words, my friend. So what in your mind is missing from cockroach right now to keep people from using it? Or is there anything that's missing at this point? Well, you know, there are things that we're improving um, every day. I don't know what's what's missing. You know, there are some areas of uh, performance where uh, we could we could always be better. There are areas of tooling around the database. Uh, and administration support where again we wish we, we could be better and that's a that's a long road ahead of us um but otherwise you know i i stand by my by my big words i i do think you know if, if i was starting a company and i um had any data that i would care about to to serve to people particularly if i'm if i'm building a an online service which most things are now um this this would already be my my database of of choice, um, and maybe this was not true some time ago. It, it, the you know a big thing that that hinders adoption of a database is is novelty. People when people um, when when people think about their data, they don't want to experiment with new things. They they like very tried and true solutions. Um, right. So that's you know if it's anything that's that's preventing adoption, it's 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 the novelty. But um, but, you know, I hope we're overcoming this. So that is a very good point, because whenever I want to set up a database, I just I don't want to think about it. I already fiddled with database enough. I've had I already run into enough problems. I don't want to learn a whole new set of problems with a new database. I just, you know, I want to use something I already know. But um you made so many interesting points in that answer. There are so many we could, so many things we could dive into. Um, so, but one thing that you were saying is, uh, if you're going, you rarely need a standalone database, right? A single instance. Usually, you need replication. And so, there are many alternatives out there. And um, one alternative, I guess, is you install, you replicate it yourself, and you manage how to synchronize the data using maybe a, a, another system or something you write yourself, God forbid. Yeah, <laughs> but please, another, please don't do that. <laughs> please, yeah, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> Sounds really tough. Um, 
but another option too is, you know, you contract a service like Heroku or Amazon and that is done for you. So my question for you is, would you recommend, would it be sane for someone to, to think about, well, I'm, I, you know, I have this thing, CockroachDB, it replicates my data. And would you say like it's easy enough for people to consider just setting up this, their server and save a little bit of money and just uh, set it up themselves? Or do you think it would require extra skills and extra monitoring? You know, how do you fare against Eroko or Amazon? That's basically what I'm saying. Would you encourage people to do it on their own? Yep, yeah, makes makes sense. Um, I would encourage people to do it on their own. Our, um, we, we try to make this product very easy to use. And, uh, and the fact is that it is, in my opinion, easier to use than most other relational databases that I've tried. I think it is, uh, it's, it's much easier to set up than... Uh, than a Postgres instance or a MySQL instance, even a standalone instance, let alone a replication or some sort of a clustering solution. Um, so I think people people can do it themselves. Uh, we're 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 trying to optimize for some of the popular clouds out there, and we're trying to make it easy for people to set it up in in uh, in you know on AWS, on GCE, on DigitalOcean, on all these guys. So we, you know we, 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 on Azure, yeah. So we Thank try you. to have <laughs> yeah, we're we're actually pretty pretty big on uh, on Azure, um, so we we try to have pretty turnkey solutions. We, ideally, it would only be a, a few clicks for for anybody to to set up their uh, their own cluster, and then this cluster, you know, at least uh, the advertisement says that it it runs in it runs itself, so it shouldn't need particularly um, you know comprehensive administration skills. You you sh you shouldn't need a a DBA unless unless your needs are you know pretty pretty advanced. Um, th th this is definitely the direction in which we're uh, we're going. We we want we want it easy. We want it to be easy for people to to set up their own clusters. Yeah, I definitely see an advantage of you know having full control over your stuff like that rather than having using a, a service that controls and then I have I'm limited to their interface. And then one last question, and then Brian, I'll let you ask. You said, you said, you said that a lot of people use embed CockroachDB in their applications. And my quick question is, do they usually do it using a binary or directly from the source code? How is it usually done? That's fascinating, by the way. Yeah, this is also a, a use case and a niche that surprised me uh, it particularly surprised me when I started to see it uh, repeatedly. I, I thought that in the beginning maybe there, there was a one-off, but then um, it seems that this it, it seems that if, you know if you want to ship if you want to ship a box if you want to ship a server that somebody puts in their data center that runs a bunch of proprietary stuff um, you and and you want to ship many of these you want to scale your business um, you want the support burden of running that. Uh, or of managing that uh, that server remotely to be to be very minimal, um, and so you want you want software that kind of is easy to set up and, and runs itself, and I think that's why that's why some of these companies are um, are using Cockroach um, because uh, other databases uh, you know I don't want to speak badly of anybody <laughs> I very much respect anybody who's uh, who's built a database but uh, they're not the easiest things to run they're not the they 
sometimes they do not run themselves. And uh, when you start, particularly when you need to manage one of these things remotely, uh, the fewest interactions you need to have with that with your database, the, the, the best it is. And I'll say that most people, in fact, I think everybody that I know of um, embeds our binaries, our, um, our, our you know, officially released binaries. Um, I think it's rare to, to build from source and to, sh- and to ship out something that you've built from source because, you know, you, you, want the, uh, you want kind of the best guarantees. You, you want the releases that have had the most testing and that's the, our company, Kakos Labs, uh, stands behind the most. Um, it's, it's not uncommon for, for these customers to, to come back to us and, and ask for a fix or some improvements that's sometimes... Uh, tailored uh, more specifically to them um, and, and then and then we'll do something for them but generally we'll still we'll still apply those patches to a to a to a release binary to a, to a release branch we'll, we'll actually make a release for them rather than just tell them to to build from to build from source and that's super nice yeah it's also another thing i'll say is that our our build system is not the is not the simplest so um, if you want to build from source and particularly if you if you want to make sure that what you've built is a is a good binary because of all the dependencies that we have, um, you probably, you know, you, you either have to set up a lot of stuff yourself or you have to just use what, what we give you. Um, because, you know, there, there's many tricky things like, uh, for example, the version of... Um, of glibc that your that the binary uh, sorry the version of libc that the binary links against uh, matters uh, when you care about what Linux distributions uh, your binary will run on and, and stuff like that and uh, you're you're better off allowing us to do to do the build for us uh, for for you because we've uh, you know we have our build machines with a very controlled uh, environment and very controlled dependencies and you know that we tested this on a, on a number of platforms. Um, and for the most part, you, you want to trust this rather than just uh, build it yourself on your laptop, and because then you, you'll get a binary that definitely runs on your laptop, but it's uh, less clear what other platforms it will it will run on. Does that make sense at all? Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about vendoring. No, I'm sorry. No. <laughs> <laughs> so we do vendor. We vendor a lot of stuff. <laughs> I can tell you from from my experience, I've I've been a a DBA for maybe half of my distinguished long career and uh, deploying a cockroach cluster was the easiest thing I've ever done. You know, managing, managing things like MySQL clustering, you, it's just, it requires a lot of specialized knowledge and it's, it's not a simple thing to set up and it's a, a very complicated thing to keep running or debug when it's breaking. So, uh, Setting up a cockroach cluster is is really simple. Yeah, I I would agree with that. <laughs> of course, it's in my interest. Uh, but then I also tell you that it is actually getting easier with uh, with every release. It's something that uh, that is receiving pretty pretty constant improvement, and it's still not as easy as we would like it to. There's still steps that you need to take sometimes that uh, um, perhaps should not be necessary. Perhaps we could we could do better. It's it's definitely one area that that gets pretty constant improvement. That's nice. So I guess the last time I looked at Cockroach was was over a year ago. It was before your 1.0 release. Oh, um, man, you, you got to look again. Oh, yeah, I, I, I have <laughs> been recently. But uh, but previously, it was, um, you know, the SQL driver, SQL interaction wasn't quite good yet. 
Um, Eric and I played with cockroach quite a bit uh, at a different job a couple of years ago. Um, when it first came out, when it, I guess not when it first came out, maybe when it was about a year old, uh, we were looking at using it. And one of the things that I really enjoyed was watching the development of the SQL driver as it matured. Uh, that was fun for me because uh, that SQL parsing engine and how it interacts with the underlying storage layer was fascinating for me. Yeah, the the SQL story it's it's getting to be long in Cockroach at the, this point. If you tried it maybe two years ago or or more so, then you really saw the very early bits of SQL support. You know, this is this is actually before my time in the company, but there was a time when Cockroach did not uh, did not actually have a SQL interface. It only had a much simpler key value oriented interface like. Uh, more like um, what some of the NoSQL databases used to have, uh, although they're also evolving more and more elaborate um, elaborate languages now uh, for querying. Um, and then we we added we we decided to go all in on uh, on SQL. In fact, uh, soon after we added a SQL interface, we we pretty much took away um, the the public KV interface. You could use you could only inter, uh, interface with the database to a SQL you know, through the SQL language and through a SQL driver. And in retrospect, I think that was definitely the right decision for us. Um, although it does increase the surface area of the database uh, uh, immensely. It, it turns out that uh, that is not so easy to have um, SQL support that's good enough to, you know, to serve the majority of the applications uh, up there. And uh, one thing that's interesting is that um, so the way you interface with uh, with our database is by using a Postgres uh, SQL driver. We, we speak the same um, the same SQL uh, wire protocol and the same SQL dialect for the most part as you know Postgres, which is a pretty well established database. And now it turns out that this sounds very good uh, in theory. You, you tell people, okay, we're going to speak the Postgres wire protocol. So if you want to talk to this database, just use your application that works with uh, Postgres, and then it will just magically work with the uh, Cockroach DB. But in practice, it turns out that applications tend to do pretty crazy stuff with uh, as soon as you give them a little bit of uh, Postgres flavor. If you if you use any sort of ORM or any sort of tooling, um, they, will, they will use a long tail of features that Postgres offers, even if your application is very simple. So, so then, in order to serve even, you know, any any significant portion of the of the Postgres applications out there, you actually need to you end up needing to pull in support for a for a pretty long tail of uh, Postgres features, which turns into a into a multi-year project. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it was definitely a, a bigger thing than to 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 start chewing on. Or whatever the expression is, than people originally uh, thought when they when they decided to add just a, you know just a just a bit of SQL to the database. Um, and <laughs> I couldn't agree with that, that more. Yeah, yeah, but we've gotten we've gotten a lot better, and this is this is also something that uh, uh, keeps improving. It, it used to be the case that if you had a Postgres tool of some sort, chances are chances were that it uh, did not work with Cockroach, even though you know at, at the lowest levels we we spoke the same protocols. Um, and I think now with the with the newer releases, most tools just work. So the, the balance the balance pretty much shifted. That's really nice. So uh, I don't want to make the whole show about 
what I'm going to ask next, but you seem to have strong opinions about NoSQL database. Do you want to like say something real quick about what you see uh, pitfalls people getting into by using that as opposed to just going with a relational database? Uh, well, you know, that is a holy word. I, I want to get into it. Um, just like like pitfalls <laughs> that people let let's just keep it to pitfalls that people generally don't expect to have or foresee having. Uh, you know, I'm sure you know every tool has its place, but sometimes we go in and and we don't know what we where we're gonna what we're gonna find, right? So let's just keep it to that. Yeah. Yeah, well, I, I do have opinions on the topic. Uh, they're generally favorable to the relational databases. The thing about NoSQL databases, as far as I... Uh, oh, probably I should prefix this by saying that I'm not the most experienced guy in the world with, uh, uh, with NoSQL databases. I haven't, uh, I haven't used that many of them. Um, but the problem when you talk about them, in my opinion, is that uh, they're not all the same. So it, it gets pretty tricky to bucket them all into one into one uh, category. So when I talk about their, their pitfalls, uh, probably different people who work on different NoSQL uh, database will say, well, that one doesn't apply to us, or that, that one is more nuanced with us. Um, because as I, was, as I was saying earlier, some of the NoSQL databases, I think, are generally evolving into, um, they are incorporating features that were traditionally part of relational databases. Some of the big ones are support for transactions, you know, support for general transactions. This idea that you can atomically change a bunch of stuff into a bunch of frees on your database, and then you you decide to to commit or to roll back that transaction as a as an atomic unit, and that and this this unit of work is isolated from other transactions, meaning you you cannot see you cannot see dirty data, you cannot see um, something something that somebody else did but didn't commit yet. You you cannot see you cannot observe partial work done by somebody else. This is this this is an extremely powerful concept, and you only discover, I think, how powerful it is when you try to use uh, a system that doesn't have it, and then you you try to pile on codes uh, uh, in your application that tries to tries to supplement for the lack of transaction support, and then you know chances are your is going to be insufficient, or you're you're most likely going to get it wrong. In the meantime, some NoSQL databases are expanding their support for transactions towards more and more general support. Um, but I, I think they're, by and large, they're still pretty far from uh, from what you know your traditional Oracle or uh, MySQL database offered from from back in the day. Um, I, so I think that's one of the big pitfalls. If if your if your NoSQL doesn't have transactions, you probably really have to think uh, a couple of times before committing to use it for a large project, because you will you will need them. And then. Um, you know, transactions are not, they're not strictly about SQL or NoSQL. They're not about the query language, but they, they tend to be associated with relational databases. And then the other thing specifically about, uh, about the SQL language or lack thereof is that people say, you know, my application is pretty simple. I, I, I have a, a RESTful API. I need to um, um, write, you know, small units of data into one table or into one, you know, document store. I, need to write one document type at a time. I need to read one 
record at the time. I, I don't do fancy stuff. I, I don't need I don't need joins or or you know all sorts of complex analytical queries or sorts of grouping or rollups uh, or what have you. Um, and I think pretty often that's that's true in the beginning for a database. Uh, but then as, as soon as as soon as you open the door a little bit to uh, to people to have access to your data, very soon you're going to get people who want to do a little bit of analytics and then a little bit more of analytics. And, you know, I just I just want to see um, what is my biggest customer. Why can't I just try, write a query that gives me that uh, stuff like that? So, you know, the, the SQL language, there's a reason why. Uh, why it existed for for what for for four or five decades, and it uh, um, it, it 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 continues to to live on, um, even though it, you know in in some in some ways it's, it's not ideal. It's it does show its age in, in some ways, but but it's still um, the only widely used uh, data querying language. And and I think the reason is that it is it is very powerful, and even if you don't need. No, nobody needs all of it, but most people need some of it. Um, and so I, I don't know. I, w- I would not be, I would not be satisfied with a database um, that has a, um, a much less sophisticated querying language that doesn't let me express most of the most of the queries that I that I want to make. So that's my <laughs> that's my um, biased and opinionated uh, side on this word. That was a very good. good answer. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, in my experience, you, you if you start with any sort of NoSQL solution, uh, at some point you're going to build your own relational code on top of that, which you know defeats the purpose of being NoSQL in the first place. You know, sure, there's lots of different ways that the different uh, document stores handle that, but uh, I think people don't necessarily always use those tools the way they're intended to be used either. I like relational a lot. Yeah, I I would agree. I also like relational, and I think uh, um, you know a join operation, which is a which is a relational primitive, is is something that uh, that people hate to do until they they need to do one. And then if you have a NoSQL database and you suddenly need to join two sources of data. Well, what do you do? You'll have to you'll have to write a bunch of code for it. So you might have pretended that you didn't actually need this kind of support from your database, but um, you know it probably took you two weeks to do the same to to write the code to do it. And um, you know I'd be all but sure that your code is not as efficient as a as a database engine um, in doing that in doing that particular join. Um, exactly. So so yeah, I'm I'm also a fan of the language. And and the, and the data model in general. So talking about language, tell us about your opinions on the Go language. I think you have some opinions there too. And uh, just for the record, we love uh, exploring opinions that are different from our own, or because we hear a lot of pe- people. Of course, we're huge advocates for the Go language here on the show, and a lot of our listeners. And we, in that way, we sort of live in a bubble. It's very refreshing when somebody comes and has different ideas and diff- different perspectives and different opinions. So just go for it. 
Well, sure, but um, I might be in the same bubble as you guys because uh, we've always <laughs> been a, we've uh, you know we've been a go shop for the past three years. Although there are some other languages that are very slowly creeping in, but um, by and large, it's a it's a go system. Um, yeah, this you know we have pretty regular flame wars about uh, the choice of the programming language, and uh, there's always um, heated debate for and against. I think overall for CockroachDB, uh, Go has has worked pretty well, pretty well so far. Um, I think the biggest selling point that applies very well to us is that it's a it's a simple language, simple to learn. Most people, um, definitely two years ago, but I think even today, most people that come here, most new employees, new engineers, uh, are not uh, are not already familiar with Go when they come in. But I think they generally get up to speed very, very quickly. You know, it it has some caveats, uh, like like any language, but um, but not not too many. It's 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 totally simple. You can really be productive in I don't know two three days a week. Um, so that that part that part is really nice, and uh, and and that goes a long way for uh, uh, for choosing this language for your project. Um, then you know I. Um, I happen to have a list of uh, pet peeves with the <laughs> with the language where I'll I'll tell to whoever listens. So I don't um, I, I I also don't think that the language is perfect. And I traditionally we're I come listening. from. Uh, yeah. We're listening. <laughs> well, then I'll then I'll tell I'll tell them to you. Um, yeah. I come from a from a C plus plus background historically. So and there are there are uh, there are things about C plus plus that I that I miss. Um, and so you know th- these are probably. You'll you'll see hints of them in my in my critiques of of Go. Um, so what kind of uh, what kind of stuff do you guys want to hear? There's when you talk about or when I when I talk about my uh, my pet pet peeves with the language, they're, they're bucketed in a couple of categories. There's some um, there's some criticism I have for the runtime. There's some other stuff about the language itself. Then maybe there's some stuff about the libraries. Um, so why did that? May I suggest you, you share with us what affects you the most in terms of productivity? Um, why don't we start there? Good. Like from like the most to the least, and then maybe we move on to another category. Well, I don't know what affects me the most, but I can tell you what scares me the most, um, which is uh, which is this idea that uh, the Go runtime doesn't, you know, it's it's meant for system software for relatively low level software but it doesn't give you particularly good control over some aspects um, of, of how your program is running for example and and i think this this kind of stuff as your as your project gets more and more mature and you start optimizing for you know more and more down to the wire things lower level things they really start mattering a lot and i'll give you one example which is that uh, I don't think uh, that Go gives you very good control over your um, over your heap memory use. Uh, you know, so for example, in Cockroach, uh, like like any databases, we we try to have pretty good um, accounting of all our memory use. Uh, we we if if you run a query, you know, it has a memory budget. It should not be able to exceed that budget. Um, or generally, overall. You, you as a as an administrator or a user using the database, you you give the whole cockroach process a memory budget. You say, okay, you have 10 gigs of RAM to play with, use it wisely, but you cannot go again above, above that because I've promised the rest to somebody else. 
or maybe my machine just doesn't have more. And so we're supposed to stay under that budget. And so we account for our memory use the, the best we can, although the, the language itself doesn't make accounting easy either. But then the reality is that no matter how well we account for anything, um, we don't have control over when the garbage collection uh, kicks in and how much it's gonna how much it's gonna collect and how aggressive it will be. So it's actually, you know, if we account a memory use of, of two gigabytes for the heap, it might be that we have another gigabyte of garbage that we have very little uh, control and very little recourse over. So even though you know it looks to us like we are we are staying under whatever budget uh, we have. The reality is that from the operating systems perspective, that just might not be true. Go just might might have decided to um, to keep a larger heap around. Um, and it's points like this, points of um, points of interface with the operating system. Uh, there's more stuff about garbage collection, about memory allocations, um, where uh, yeah, the, the the control is not perfect. And if you if you try to write really efficient software that that runs in like in very tightly specified bounds, uh, I think you you run into that, and and cockroach is at the point where we, where we start running into that, and it's a bit unclear to me at least what we can do about it. Um, so that's that's my uh, that's what keeps me up at night uh, in in regards to to this language. May I ask you a question? And this is not to. Uh, I don't have an intention to um, take a. I don't know. Take it as a good intention. And truly curious. Have you discussed this with? Uh, because it seems uh, there is a problem. I would expect any any software that is uh, low level, like a database or you know a container. Um, or things like that, I would expect them to have the same challenge. Have you ever brought this up with the language team? Uh, I know they have a form out there to to collect feedback just like that. I wonder if you have, and if you have heard anything back. Um, yeah, we, we regularly uh, talk to some of the um, Go team members, particularly the, the ones at Google. We, uh, we we make noise as we can about these things. This, this thing that I was telling you about, particularly or specifically, this thing about uh, um, about heap limits is being discussed on a GitHub issue somewhere. Um, there are various you know solutions or workarounds being proposed, uh, but I, I think it's still in a in a bit of flux. Um, I think it is it's being acknowledged by the um, by the Google Go team as a as an area of improvement. Then there were others where uh, specifically us have us as in our team cockroach have uh, raised the issue and um, prompted some some changes to the runtime. There was something about um, uh, about uh, garbage collector behavior where you know so sometimes the garbage collector tries to um, tries to push back on the application that's generating the garbage, trying to make it run slower at least while doing that collection. And then it, it turned out that that behavior was affecting us very much and for very little benefit to the garbage collector. And so there was a lot of back and forth with the, with the Google folks. And we, you know, we did our best to provide uh, traces and profiles and, uh, and um, reproduction cases. Um, and I think there we have managed to, um, to impact some change, although I'm not sure that uh, 
that the change was uh, to the degree that we were were hoping. But that, that that's another open discussion that that keeps getting uh, refreshed every now and then. So yeah, we, we're definitely we're definitely in um, in in touch with all sorts of members of the of the Go team. We do we do make this uh, these things known. But you know that, and, and and sometimes sometimes the feedback is immediate and we get good get good resolution. Sometimes it's a it's a longer discussion and you know I understand that the the, the Go team must have uh, thousands of um, angry customers like us um, and you know we're also not paying them anything so uh, you know yeah, it is what it is. I'm curious. This is just a little bit of a change of topic, but um, I've been doing a lot of research lately on. Uh, multi-core ARM servers and the uh, the new Qualcomm board that has come out that uh, Cloudflare is using pretty extensively looks pretty nice. 48 cores and and pretty decent performance, comparable to some of the highest end Xeons. Have you tested uh, Cockroach on an ARM platform with with a high core count like that? <laughs> yeah, that's a that's an awesome question. Uh, we have, yeah, somebody gave us, uh, I think it was a cloud provider, I'm, I'm not sure whom, and I don't have all the details on it, but somebody gave us a 96-core R machine to test on, um, and, you know, we, we started from a pretty low bar, I think, it, uh, in the beginning, we weren't even uh, building correctly on ARM for some reason, um, but but then, uh, but then, yeah, we, we got it working, um, and... I think we we even have you know nightly tests of some or at least periodic tests of cockroach on that platform to make sure that there's no regressions. Although I, I uh, I'm not completely up to date. I'm not sure about that. But I know that uh, that some some things have happened. Uh, having said that, you know the, the hardware is still a bit exotic, so we we don't uh, we don't run too many we don't run many workloads on that. We don't generally uh, test uh, test with it when we te- when we do our uh, our test clusters. Um, so, you know, I, I can't speak about it with very much, uh, um, certainty, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, we're, uh, we're fans of, of big machines and we definitely want to be, want to experiment with all sorts of platforms in the arm world. We also experimented with, um, um, with, uh, what, what are those, uh, the boards uh, with the raspberry Pi boards, um, some, some of whom are uh, arm based and we, um, there was a guy even running us on a on a cluster of maybe thirty Raspberry Pis or something like that. Um, so so you know it it works and, uh, and different people try it on on all sorts of weird things. Um, but yeah, f- for the most part we we test it on uh, um, on on public clouds which have uh, which have uh, x86 machines. Right. Do you find that uh, performance improves? linearly as you add more cores <laughs> well in general is a good uh, is a good addendum to that sentence because whenever you talk about performance for a for a database and particularly a sql database which has a very very broad area it right. it, it matters tremendously what your workload is the, the workloads can be so so varied like there are you know the performance or the, the factors that affect the performance of you know large range scans um, are very different from the factors that affect the performance of um, more targeted transactions that do a couple of uh, point reads and writes. Um, the, the duration of your transactions very matters very much. All, basically, all sorts of things matter. But yes, generally, we do find that um, 
for many workloads, we are CPU bound, and adding more CPUs does does help. Uh, also, de depending on your depending on your storage system, you're, you're going to see different performance characteristics and different scaling if you're on SSD versus if you're on a, um, more traditional hard drives. Um, but yeah, general, generally, adding more cores uh, helps. Now, I, I can't I can't give you a, a very I can't give you an exact number about you know what's the core count per machine up to which we 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 scale linearly um, because because I don't know, but uh, we definitely scale some per per machine. Yeah, that's great. Mm -hmm. Good good story. Thanks for that answer. Um, I had one more question that I I lost. Oh, um, when when we had emailed previously, you mentioned that uh, uh, you use open tracing internally. Is the open tracing that's embedded in uh, CockroachDB available externally for people to take a look at so they can see the performance of the database? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we're, we're big fans of open tracing. Um, and, and the answer to your question is yes. If you have a, if you use some sort of an open tracing uh, trace collector, if you use a service like uh, Lightstep or you run your own Zikin or Jaeger instances or what have you, um, then yes, you, you can see cockroach uh, traces in that uh, performance monitoring uh, system. Um, but even if you don't, you can you can get a, a bunch of benefits from our use of open tracing um, because um, we we have our own tracers internally, um, and you can, for example, you can ask you can ask the system to trace one particular query, and it will give you a printout of the of how that trace looked like, and it won't be as pretty as uh, as how a trace would look if you look at it in one of these, um, you know, distributed trace collectors that all have all sorts of pretty graphs and, uh, you know, and, and graphical views of a single trace. Ours is just a, is basically a text dump, um, but it is a it is a lot better than nothing. Let me tell you. So, um, <laughs> so yeah, we're uh, we're we're getting all sorts of benefits from open tracing. So, do you use? Um, I'm assuming if you're doing it from a CLI, you'd use something like a a SQL trace type command, and then behind the scenes, it's actually collecting data from the open tracing spans and reporting those as uh, the the details of that SQL trace. Yeah, that's exactly what happens. So you can, you, if you if you have a SQL prompt open, you can say, um, you know, something like show trace four, and then you give it a statement. You can say show trace four select star from foo, and then you will see. Um, you will see the results of a distributed trace. We will we'll collect information about everything that has happened on behalf of that query, even if that query needed to, you know, talk to remote nodes and do RPCs. Um, you you basically get back the whole tree of, uh, uh, of of spans that contribute to that trace, and then we just do a, you know, we, we just project them into a table. You get a table representation of all your uh, of all your spans and the messages in your spans. And the coolest thing uh, about tracing in Cockroach, in my opinion, is that we have integrated our logging with the tracing. So every every time you add any type of debug logging into your um, into your program, in, into Cockroach, which is usually consumed to, to just um, uh, plain flat text files, log files, you also get the same trace messages, uh, sorry, the same log messages in a trace if you if you trace a specific operation, um, and and I think that's uh, I think that's uh, that's really cool. This uh, combination of tracing and um, and logging, I think it's uh, 
it's really powerful. And now if we if we manage to integrate this also with our um, performance monitoring, with our time series, um, then we'd have something uh, going on. You know, the holy grail is, uh, at least in my opinion, being able to look at a graph that plots something, an error rate or maybe a, a latency, and you see some sort of a spike on that on that graph. Say there was a there was a latency spike for this category of queries, and you wonder why. And now if you could if you could click on that spike and say, okay. I want I want the system to give me um, an example trace that contributed to this point on the graph. Uh, I think that would be a, a a great thing, which we which we don't have yet, but uh, one can dream. Um, but we have the logging part. Yeah, that is that that would be a, a really beautiful dream, actually. So, in terms of instrumenting your applications, uh, you know, one of the things that I see commonly is is people. Um, passing a context in as the first parameter of their methods and functions and pulling a, a tracing span out of that context. How How is uh, Cockroach instrumented and uh, how do you like the approach that you've chosen to do that? Uh, is there anything you would change? Um, what libraries do you use? Tell me about your instrumentation inside. Well, it works exactly like uh, like how you've described. We pass contexts everywhere. Uh, contexts have a span in them. Um, if you um, if you do any sort of logging, then our logging methods also take a context, and internally they will fish out the span from the from the context, and they will they will append a message to that span. Um, if you want to create another span, so if you have a sub uh, you have an operation that has some children operations, uh, say you know say you're you're about to do an RPC that that's that constitutes a unit of work. So we generally open another span and. Uh, and create a derived context, which we're then going to pass to that to that child operation, to that sub operation. Um, so yeah, it's it's all based on context. Um, and whether I like it or not, I'm not sure. I I, I go back and forth. Um, I like you know th this is one aspect that uh, Go did well. It has very the the language and the libraries in the language and the runtime have very little magic. Everything is explicit. You know, if you if you want if you want your logging to work or if you want your tracing to work, you you gotta pass this context um, around and then it's very clear what span you're you're inside of and stuff like that. However, sometimes it is it is annoying that you have to do it and you know if if I suddenly need to if I suddenly need to add some logging to a method that is you know, 10 stack, uh, stack frames deep from the last method that had a context. You know, if we have methods that don't take a context because they never need it, and then they call other methods which also don't take context because they never need it. And now one of these methods suddenly needs to log something, right? Now I need to plumb a context all the way from um, from whatever the, the last uh, method in my in my uh, in my stack trace that had a, that was taking a span is. And that's yeah. uh, that's sometimes that feels like more work than it, uh, than it should, you know. So uh, you know, other languages do have have things like uh, thread local storage, which Go has uh, has resisted so far. Um, uh, you know, sometimes I I'm inclined to believe that uh, maybe that there are cases where that would help, um, but I, I don't have a very good uh, answer. I, I I go back and forth. Like sometimes sometimes I long for just a little bit of magic. Other times, I'm very glad that I know exactly what's going on, and um, there's no um, there's no side effects that are not very clearly visible in the in the source code that I'm looking at. Um, 
So yeah, I'm not sure. So one of the things that that drives me a little bit crazy about the whole open tracing concept is that things get verbose really quickly and it's kind of hard to see the business logic from the span creation and logging and and all of that. So I, I wrote a package a while ago on GitHub called Trace and it, it kind of put all of the, um, it made a couple assumptions, you know, it starts a new, uh, starts a new span for every method call. Every time you, you call span, it will start, I'm sorry, every time you get the context, it will create a new span. So every function gets its own span. Um, but it also embeds a logging interface into the context and does some metrics calculations for every, every span too. And I found that reduced the clutter in my my applications by maybe two thirds, but it still feels really verbose. I mean, I miss the days of of metadata injection where you could just add new relic to your Ruby app and it it did all of that underneath the covers. You didn't have to worry about um, actually instrumenting your functions. I wish Go had a way for us to inject things into the runtime so that we could we could do something like that, uh, that new relic injection, because it sure would be nice to have an instrumented runtime rather than having to put all of this in our apps. Yeah, I know, I know what you're talking about, um, but you gotta wonder what's the cost of what new relic is injecting into your Ruby time, uh, Ruby runtime or whatever. Um, because even with our code, you know, tracing does have a cost and, and that's why we don't enable it by default. And, uh, you know, it, it took us quite a bit of uh, quite a bit of time to to optimize this well, and even with all the optimization, it still it still has a measurable cost. Um, so, you know, I'm I'm all for I'm all for um, instrumentation um, that you don't have to write any code for, um, but as long as as long as it doesn't have a too big of a performance penalty. So that would sure. be my that would be what I would measure there. Yeah, I, I agree with that too. All right, we are, oh my goodness, we're running late. I'm, I forgot that I was the person who was supposed to be taking charge of time. Um, <laughs> we should move on to interesting Go projects and news. Um, anything really big and exciting happened over the last week or two? I was in Moscow at GopherCon Russia. That was a blast. How about uh, interesting Go projects? Carlissi, did you come up with anything interesting? Um. I mainly had a cold this week. <laughs> I was <laughs> barely keeping up. I found one that got me uh, quite a bit excited. Uh, Go Saloon slash Saloon on GitHub uh, is a, um, a forum software written in Go. And previously I've seen two or three other forum uh, applications written in Go that were very unfinished and unpolished. Uh, Saloon is still relatively early, but it's fast and clean and pretty and looked really nice to me. So I'm looking forward to playing with Go Saloon a little bit. And I see, I just opened their GitHub page and I see that it can connect to a Postgres database. So maybe we'll just work with Cockroach. Well, that's a fantastic idea. (laughs) I love that. Why don't we move on to Free Software Friday? Andre, if... um, if you're not familiar with this little segment, it's it's uh, where we want to give a shout out to either people or projects that uh, help us. They don't have to be Go related. They can be uh, any person, any project in the open source world 
that you want to say thank you to. Um, and we do that just because it's, it's really nice to hear your project and feel appreciated when you spend so much time on an open source project. So I can go ahead and get started with that one. I used a project called Git Pitch, G-I-T Pitch, P-I-T-C-H, to present my um, two talks in Russia this weekend, and I really loved it. It's uh, uh, yet another JavaScript presentation, you know, PowerPoint replacement thing. But it's particularly nice because on the presentation itself, uh, your the people watching the slides can download a zip, they can download a PDF, all without leaving their browser. Um, the workflow is a little bit awkward, but I guess they're they're um, they're working to fix it, make it a little bit easier during the building of the presentation part. But it's nice you can just go to gitpitch.com and then paste in the URL of any open source repository that hosts one of those slide decks and you can view that that uh, live right on getpitch.com. So that's my open source thank you. Thank you to the team building that. I want to say the, the main developer is named Daniel, but I'm sorry, I don't remember. Carlissa, did you have any? I don't have anything specific, but I, I do want to give a shout out to everyone who works in open source and it's welcoming and helpful to people who are new. Just mm. because um, I was exchanging a couple of messages uh, on Slack with someone who pings me about, like he asked me to look at the resume and turned out what he wanted, he was looking for an internship. He was trying to change careers. And he's super experienced in one area and just trying to move to, uh, you know, into tech and programming and programming and Go in specific. And I said, you should be doing open source instead of looking for an internship just because he has professional experience, right? He's been working. Uh, and he said, yeah, you know, because I took so long for him to, to uh, it took me so long to get back to him. He's like, yeah, I actually submitted two PRs to this project. And he said, I, it was so nerve wracking, but people have been nothing but supporting. And just want to say it makes such a big difference, you know, um, it's, it's really, it really is what keeps people going. If they come in contact with you and their first, it might be their first programming experience. Yeah. We don't so, do open source for the money. We do it for partially for the people. So I, I couldn't agree more. Having yeah. a, a nice welcoming project with great people makes a little small community that feels like your open source family. Yeah. And you know, it's one. like, and then, you know, you're nice and you attract people who are also nice and, and they will have their turn at, at being nice and helpful. So keep the good job guys and girls doing great. One thing awesome. that I've noticed is that uh, recently it seems to me that uh, a lot of open source projects have become much more aware of uh, the importance of of this sort of stuff, of this kind of soft, soft skills, being inclusive, being friendly to newcomers, um, in, including the Go, uh, the Go team at Google. I, I believe they've done a relatively recent push into being more, uh, you know, more open and encouraging and generally nice to people. Uh, you, you see all sorts of projects having uh, more expensive code of, codes of conduct and stuff like that. I also think it's a, you know, it's a really good thing and very important. Wow. And coming from you who works with open source, it's, uh, it's really good to hear too. So thanks for that. Yeah, we cockroach. Well, we try. <laughs> we, uh, we definitely try to, um, 
we try to be friendly and we uh, really hope to build a community around this stuff. Uh, yeah, I, and I, I personally think it's, it's, it's really important to do. Yeah, and you know, always it, it takes the trying. The trying is what is important. Absolutely. Andre, did you have any projects or, or teams that you wanted to shout out to? Uh, yeah, I thought of a few. <laughs> so it's funny you, you shared this uh, doc with me before the uh, before the recording, and then there was a uh, I think there was a suggestion from Eric um, to um, to praise RaxDB, um, but he's not he's not here, right? Um, <laughs> but I think uh, you know if if I'm permitted, I would take that over. RaxDB is a great open source project. Um, uh, do you guys uh, do you guys want to talk about that for a uh, for a second? Absolutely. Yeah, so oh, maybe especially since it, it contradicts some of your opinions. <laughs> well, how how so? Well, it's not a relational database, right? No, it's uh, it's it's not a relational database, but it can be used to build one as CockroachDB is doing. Uh, RaxDB, so, um, we 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 vendor and we use RaxDB uh, extensively. It's our on-disk uh, storage engine. Um, and we're very, very grateful that it uh, it exists. It's a it's a pretty important building block. It's a it's a project from uh, from Facebook, um, I believe. Um, yes. So maybe maybe currently there's also another company that's uh, uh, taking a role in it. Uh, I'm not I'm not completely sure, but it's uh, yeah it's um you know non-distributed just single machine um, KV store uh, high performance. Um, it's C++ code and um, yeah, we're um, we we like it very much. Very very featureful, and uh, yep. with a, if with I remember, behind it, Rocks is a fork of LevelDB that fixed a lot of things to make it more convenient for SSDs. But I could be wrong on that part. I think you're right. I think that's how it started. I think it is a fork of Google's LevelDB, uh, which is you know code from from back in the day. I think uh, I think it was uh, Jeff Dean that had a hand in it. Um, it's also used by um, by Chrome, I think, pretty extensively. And then, yeah, RockDB starting started off, I think, as adapting that to, to behave better on uh, on SSDs. Um, at its core, it's a um, it's a merge it's a merge tree for uh, uh, for people that are um, you know like storage systems. All right, so we've covered free software Friday. Uh, I think it's time for us to wrap up the show unless anybody has any final things they want to add. I'm good. No. Yeah. All right. Well, me. we want to, we want to thank you uh, very much, Andre, for joining us and Carlicia for asking such great questions today. Thanks to all the people out there listening to go time. Um, we encourage you to share the show with your fellow programmers, uh, people who might be interested in go. We continue to get uh, really inspiring messages from people who say, you know, we just started learning Go and we, we discovered your podcast. We love it. So we encourage you to continue to send us awesome messages telling us how great we are, too. We like that a lot. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at GoTimeFM, on uh, GitHub.com slash GoTimeFM slash ping. You can suggest topics for shows or guests that uh, we might want to add or invite and uh, you can go to gotime.fm and subscribe to our upcoming weekly email and gotime.fm to find the rest of our episodes. So with that, uh, thank you every much. Thank you everybody 
I hope you have a good week. Thank you, Brian. Thanks a lot for having me on the show. Thank you, Andre. Thank you, guys. All right, that's it for this episode of Go Time. Tune in live on Thursdays at 3 p.m. U.S. Eastern at changelog.com slash live. Join the community and Slack with us. In real time during the shows, head to changelog.com slash community. Follow us on Twitter. We're at GoTimeFM. Special thanks to Fastly, our bandwidth partner. Head to Fastly.com to learn more. Also, Linode, we host everything we do on Linode servers. Head to Linode.com slash changelog. GoTime is edited by Jonathan Youngblood, and the theme music for GoTime is produced by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. We'll see you again next week. Thanks for listening.